Okay, so for everybody listening in, for everybody watching on Facebook Live, you are at a special edition of Chantal Hyde at Canada's Dating Coach. Now, on this podcast, we're going to deviate from the usual talking about dating and relationships. And we're doing something that's super special to me and it's called a pop party. And most people, when I say pop party, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And it happens to be this little pot right here. The idea came to me when I was in my 20s and I was surrounding myself with very philosophical minds because I was going through the process of figuring life out. And I came up with an idea where we could have a lot of diverse conversations and it could flow really smoothly. And so basically the rules of a pot party, and I encourage everybody who has really cool friends who like to talk about a lot of different things to get them together sit down, have a cup of coffee, have some wine, tea, whatever, have a bowl in the middle of the room, have a bunch of pieces of paper lying around and a bunch of pens. And as you settle in and you think of questions, or in this case, I had everybody come with questions, so we're already prepared with questions in the pot, write the questions down on the piece of paper, put it in the pot. When everybody's settled in, when you have at least three questions, you can start the pot party. So, usually I have the person who's the newest pick first, baptism by fire, mm -hmm. open up the piece of paper, read out loud what's inside, address it. So sometimes it's a question, in my case sometimes it's an exercise, say something about each person in the room that you appreciate, because I'm a sociologist, I like to get people talking about people. Um, it could be kind of like a life question that you're trying to figure out. It could be something that you already think you figured out, but you want to hear other opinions about. Whatever. Everything counts. You put in the pot. It gets picked. The first person who picks it answers the question or does the exercise. When they're done, it goes to the next person clockwise. <clears throat> when it's gone through all the people, the next person clockwise picks from the pot, does the same thing. And so everybody gets to contribute, everybody gets to pick, everybody gets to talk about what gets picked. We're going to do four questions today because there's four of us. Um, it's kind of up to the universe what happens. It's really interesting because sometimes after a party there'll be questions left over and I'll read them and I'll feel like the ones that we picked were really the most relevant ones. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's really cool to kind of leave it up to fate the sort of stuff that you'll talk about, and it just always resonates with most people there. So, without further ado, what I'm going to do is introduce everybody here, and then we're going to have a pop party. So sitting here to my left is Jessica Berman-Zinger. She is the owner of Cocoon Apothecary here in Kitchener. Now, there's four reasons why people look at me and think there's no way I know what I'm talking about because I look too young to have enough experience to be able to lead them through things with empathy because I've gone through them myself. Mm -hmm. Good food, good love, meditation, keeping my cortisol levels down, therefore no stress, eating away my body and disintegrating it, and good skincare. And Jessica is my good skincare. There is nothing I will put on my skin if it's not made by Jessica and Cocoon oh. Apothecary. <laughs> um, so Jessica, your website is cocoonapothecary.com. Yes. Which is awesome. Yeah. I suggest everybody goes there and there's a coupon code if they wanted to. If, if they used, would their Chantal 25? Yeah, it probably works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I think so. It, um, Organicskin.ca, too, because cocoon's actually really hard to spell. So if you want to look it up, it's organicskin.ca. See, that's smart. That's why I'm CanadaStatingCoach.com. Yeah. You remember. Yes. Well, cocoon's really hard to spell. <laughs> I know. Mm -hmm. To tell you the truth, when I was writing this down, I put two C's and I wasn't sure if that was right. Yeah. It was really hard. Yeah. Even I didn't know how to spell it when I first <laughs> thought of it, which should have been a sign. <laughs> 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 So, beside Jessica Berman-Zinger is Jessica Caron. She is also from Kitchener. She's a yoga instructor. She got trained in Hawaii, of all places. She just did that in October, and she seriously debated staying there and being a beach bum and just living off donations for teaching yoga off the beach. But she has... 
two boyfriends back home and a girlfriend that she wanted to come back home to. You know what? I forgot to say, Jessica, you've been in, in a relationship. You're married now. You've been together yep. for how long? 18 years. 18 years. Wow. Two gorgeous kids. Yeah. yeah good for you. That is, that's beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Jessica's been in a relationship for six years with her primary. Yep. And then one year with her secondary yep. male lover. And 10 years with her female lover. Very awesome. Justin is our last member here. He's from Toronto. He's an elevator consultant. He actually looks after the elevators in the CN Tower. Very cool. Justin is single. Maybe not ready to mingle. I think there's a girl <laughs> on the horizon going on. So what we are going to do now is have the pot party. Super simple. Jessica, mm -hmm. I'm going to have okay. you reach into the pot and go for it. Is it really necessary to know everything about your partner's previous relationships? You go first. Um, no, I don't think so. And um, I think that you can offer whatever you need to that's relevant to your relationship. Um, obviously, um, sometimes you're bringing in baggage that needs to be explained. It's really helpful if there's triggers, um, say, oh, real jealousy issues, then you can say, look, I was with a philandering person that was constantly cheating on me and it's, I don't have that trust. Or maybe my dad had an affair and abandoned my family and, you know, you want to bring in stuff to explain your behavior. And I think that will help you with your partner and they'll understand you more and be able to work with that and be tender in those areas. Jessica? I don't think it's necessary, but I think that the more open we can be with each other about our previous relationships, the better we generally feel. So being able to feel that you can share all of it, even if you don't need to share all of it, is a good place to be in your relationships. Right? Because I feel like that's the, the, the comfort of communication with your partners is always really, really important. I may not need to know everything about everyone, but you should feel safe sharing it. You should feel safe asking questions to the people in your life and not feel like you are treading in painful territory too much, that you feel safe in those relationships to share those things without judgment. Mm. What do you think, Justin? Um... Definitely not necessary to know everything, but um, this is something that I touch on as I'm kind of in and out of the dating game over the last little while and meeting new people. And uh, it's, you know, sometimes you get to look where it's like, you know, why are you talking so much about past relationships? And I, and I mean, these are things that are fundamental parts of your life. They're things that you've gone through and they've been significant portions of your life, whether it's a two year or multiple two year relationships or a long, long term single relationship. And, um, you know, that's kind of like a red light to me if I see that somebody has an issue with me talking about it. And again, I'm not talking about an angle of being hung up and sounding like I'm stuck on something, but it's like 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 Jessica number one said, and that's what we're gonna do here just because we're going in this order. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, it, like you said, it's it's one of those things where you know you have to give people understanding about the things you've been through, and and I totally understand it and I agree with it thoroughly. It's it's one of those things where you need to tell people these things, and obviously you're not gonna sit there and have a half hour conversation about it at a time and just drill away at it but as things happen and things remind you of, of past experiences you need to you need to share those mm -hmm. but and one more thing I have to say about this is something that I've always said because I'm an extremely honest person um, with everybody um, you know what make sure that if you ask me a question about and this relates to anything in life but mainly I brought this question about because of relationships and past relationships if you want to know something make sure you if you ask me make sure you really want to know the answer because you're going to get it and you might not like it. So that's what be I say prepared. about that. Yeah, be yeah. prepared. Like, yeah. And, and I'll, truth be told, the reason I answered it, or the reason I came up with that question was because I always hated the question, and it's something I would never ask somebody in a relationship, whether it's been a while or it's new, um, how many people have you slept with? It's not necessary to know. It's, no. I don't think that's something that really plays a part in anything, and I think that's a juvenile question, in my opinion. So. Right. No one answers it honestly anyway. Well, but, but this is... This is why I said, if you want to know the answer, 
make sure you really want to know because yeah. I'm going to tell you and, and mm-hmm. you might run the other way or yeah. you might be okay with it, right? Like, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Um, in my experience, personally, and, and I mean, like, I came from a fair amount of relationships where there was, like, some kind of cheating going on, whether it was, like, emotional or physical, both. Um, and I have a very active imagination. So whenever a boyfriend that I was with would talk about another woman, then I would imagine them together, and I could see them being intimate, and it would spark all this insecurity and jealousy inside of me. And I really started feeling like the less I knew, the better. Um, so I, I really like the idea of it only if it's relevant. Otherwise, there's kind of nothing to say about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, if I ask the question, I want the answer. And if it hurts me, that's my own fault for asking a question that I wasn't ready to hear the answer to. Or I wasn't ready for the truth, maybe. Um, but if I'm not asking, don't tell me. I don't need to know. I don't need to imagine it. Mm-hmm. Don't want to go there. I just want to be in the moment and move forward. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you can communicate that too. And that's really, that's the important part of that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just being able to say that yeah. this is how I feel about it and have your partner respect that and that'd be okay. But sometimes we don't think to say that before we hear something <laughs> that puts us yeah. in a spin. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned that the hard way. Yeah. And you're speaking about clarity through communication and that's really yeah. important, right? Jessica, too. <laughs> I've labeled both of you. I know. It's your fault. <laughs> How do you feel about terms of endearment? <laughs> this actually came up recently um, in a conversation I was having on Facebook. Because I have a tendency to call people, um, everybody, love mm. or dear. Because for me, those are... Um, kind and gender neutral terms to use to people and I worked in service for a really long time so when referring to someone I personally don't like to use gendered terms at people that I don't know because it it feels icky to me to do that to them and so terms like love and dear and sweetheart are completely neutral to me and they're very kind but I had someone um, explain to me that they're very uncomfortable with the idea of being called love by someone they don't know and I was surprised by that and at the same time have to 100% respect that that is, it is kind of a comfortable term to use Mm -hmm. and just because it's very comfortable to me to say it does not necessarily mean the person receiving it is super comfortable with it, which sort of sucks. As far as personal relationships, I love them. I love familiar terms Um, and I have familiar terms and, um, and language that I use that is specific to the people who are in my life. Um, my fiance and I, um, when we talk about love, we say oodles because love wasn't a word that was sufficient to explain what we were trying to say. And it's, it's too broad a term. And so oodles became part of the, that terminology. And even though we are not super possessive of each other, we say things like mine, 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 and yours, yours, yours to each other on a regular basis as a term that is between us and only applies to that particular relationship. Um, I learned a word in, um, Sanskrit or Hindu called prema, which means divine love, and is the word that Mitchell and I use to each other um, when talking about the, the compassionate care that we um, are trying to give each other when we're especially going through difficult things. Um, and it, it is a term that is similar to the word beloved. Mm-hmm. And it's just separate for that. And um, I feel like those being able to share those with someone and have something that belongs to the two of you that you can give to each other that is a, like a a verbal cue of your care is very useful, especially when someone's maybe in a dark place or a hard place and you say something that they know is a term that means something just to the two of you. It helps to pull you out of that. So I find that's really super kind. I'll start off um, saying, you know, off the heels of your... your... Go on. I'll come off the heels of what you said. Um, You know, I I have... um, developed a bit of an issue within a relationship and and we're talking about a romantic relationship obviously um with somebody calling me uh you know using a term like let's say a babe or something that (laughs) is just very not unique and not you know it's it's not 
for you. That's something that millions of other people use. And, and I, you know, I was okay with that when I was younger. And I've been in a multitude of relationships for, for the majority of my life. And, and it was okay. And now, you know, truth, truth be told, uh, a recent relationship got to the point where it was every time the phone was answered, hey, babe, what's going on, babe? And it's like, you know, I had to... You know, it's, it's a hard thing to try and discuss or explain to your, your lover that you're with that, you know, like, I don't want you to call me that anymore <laughs> and try not to be hurtful. So that's not an easy one to, to, to hop over. Right. But I, I, you know, I had to. I said, you know, this is something that I, I understand. It's a term of endearment and you're showing your, your your compassion and your feelings towards me. But at the same time. I don't like it, you know, and it was tough. Um, but like, like you said, if it's something unique and something individual that only you two know, then that's a different story. You know, you said oodles or, you know, something that you share that nobody else is going to get. And no matter, even if they heard you say it a hundred times, they just wouldn't get it because it's something that you developed with your partner at a certain point in time when you were at a certain moment in your life that just felt amazing. And you guys, you know, that's the way you expressed yourselves. But yeah, from my, from my, uh, you know, a standpoint as things, words like babe and hun and things like that, just no. You know what? I I told Chantel today I met a really great woman and we've seen, been seeing each other and we actually had the conversation about this recently and she says I hate being called hun. I said okay, that's you know what I'm I say that to some of my female friends just because that's what we've always called each other you know going back ten years and they call me that and that's fine I'm okay with that sort of thing. But if I'm in a relationship, and I was really happy to hear her say that she did not like that because I know she's only going to call me Justin. And I'm <laughs> fine with that. If, if, if something develops later, great, but I know she won't use babe, hun, or sweetheart, or any of that other stuff. You know, She's okay with not using those things, and I'm okay with it too. <laughs> I love terms of endearment. I do. Like, if I call my husband Dennis, it's, he's in trouble. <laughs> Um, you had the last you know, name sometimes, though. Right? <laughs> so, like, for us, it's, it's exclusively terms of endearment. Um, and it's, I, I kind of, for me, it's an interesting guideline to sort of ascertain what's going on inside the relationship. Like, I knew he kind of sort of shifted more into commitment with me when he started calling me baby, <laughs> um, you know, instead of Chantal. And... In, in the early stages of a relationship and that that for me was like oh so I, I know his brain is moving forward because he's shifted into a term of endearment and now he's shifted into a new term of endearment which is my sweets and I know that that is a sign of heightened appreciation for what I'm doing for him so it's I think it's cool because it's a communication of your affection for each other and you can call each other different names as things evolve and change and it gives you an idea and all of my friends are love and lovey and lovely and babe mm -hmm. um, so yeah I, I really like terms of endearment I think I think it's super sweet I'm thinking Jessica no um, yeah, I do. I was just thinking tonight I called him Amore, so I have to like make sure it's like a different language so it's not like cheesy. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. <laughs> amore or me amore or something. Maybe I'll have like a little accent. That's not real. Sounds bad, but that makes it fun. Um, and yeah, like when you said babe, I laughed because I, I hate babe and babe is so popular right now. It's like babe, babe, babe. That's exactly what I'm And it drives me nuts. <laughs> and there's even like you know, people on, you know, on social media that are using it as part of their, like, branding for their company. Like, you're a babe. It's, like, it drives me crazy. Anyway, um, so I do that. And then I call my husband Leno when his real name's Lane. <laughs> um, and, but we don't do the sweeties or anything like that. Um, I, if you call me sweetie, I'd be really creeped out that'd be really weird <laughs> um and it's a little bit kind of saying sweetie. tell us how you really feel yeah like okay sweetie <laughs> dummy you know like i don't know if he calls me anything it's usually like sugar you know um or maybe like sexy or something like he'll say something like that but uh yeah we're not like we're kind of anti-cheese so we have like boundaries it's not recycled right that's the important <laughs> thing like i said it's not recycled not something that that was my issue with it. you know something that you've called past you know people that you've been with and, and it's like, yeah you, know, you can't just pick that up and throw that out because it just feels recycled it feels like that's why it's something that's exclusive like that was the word i was looking for and you said that something that's exclusive to you yeah and then it feels different 
Because yeah. obviously, who doesn't love it? Who doesn't love to, in terms of endearment? Of course, you want to know that the person you're with, you know, makes you feel that way by something they say to you. Yeah. Whether it be, you know, kind of from a funny angle or whatever it is, but it's something, yeah. something unique and, and exclusive to you. Justin, your turn to pick. Uh oh. Um. All right. Me too. Time's up. Movement. How do you feel about it? What are the next steps? I really, to be honest with you, don't really have a lot of knowledge on this, and I don't really have much. You to know say what? About okay, it's, that is might... pretty interesting that you pick that one though. Uh -huh. And let me let me tell you why. So, what, read the question again. Here, why don't you read it and start, and I'll be the last one to go around because I'll probably have something to <laughs> no, say. No, actually, to you're going to gonna start because you picked this. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, hashtag me too. Hashtag times up. How do you feel about it and what's the next steps? But I don't really know much about this. To so, be honest. I don't I'm not on like I don't watch the news or social media news or a lot or anything. Not, no. So let me put it this way then. Because I do want to get you engaged with this and I do want you okay. to go first. Something that's going on right now is confusion from males because bad dates are turning into backlashes because girls are going with what's happening. They, they're seeming willing, like, like somebody is literally taking off their clothes and they're not stopping it. So they're going with it, but in their heads, they're saying, I don't want this to happen. And so there's the males on the other side of this, when they hear from her that this was an uncomfortable situation, I didn't want to do this. Um, it felt like sexual assault. Wow. As a male in this climate where with all of this going on, the first move seems scary because you don't know what she's thinking because she might not be saying what she's thinking. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? And what do you think males should do about that? Well... Now that you broke that down a little bit for me, yeah. um, it might be a little bit of a different male opinion coming from me, to be honest, and I'm sure that's, I why, that's what you want. Um, I, I, I want to hear the straight opinion from your heart, for sure. Coming from a guy that, you know, again, being in, in and around the dating circuit for, you know, a little bit over the last, you know, like three to five years, I guess, and... and um, I'm a unique individual when it comes to this sort of stuff. Um, I'm one of the most utterly respectful guys that you'll ever meet. And I'm not saying this because, you know, this is my own my own labeling and, and this is the way I want to brand myself. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I've had women my whole life, you know, when I was young, um, go, this guy's too nice, I'm running. Because they're not used to it and they think I'm blowing smoke up their ass, which is understandable because, you know, that's the way that, you know, a lot of guys are culturally. That's the way men have been over the last, you know, 20 years. They're dogs in a lot of cases. And, you know, it's I don't surround myself with those kind of guys, but uh, I understand that, you know, that's what guys do. And they're all about, you know, playing that game and, and you know, preying upon women that are, you know, you can tell them what they want to hear and they'll mm -hmm. give you what, what it is you're looking for. Now, me, on the other hand, being a guy that I'm, I'm not looking for that in a hurry. I'm, I'm 38 years old. I'm, you know, more interested in really getting to know somebody and, and building something with someone. So I can't even fathom that sort of thing. You know, I can't, I'm not somebody who's, like I said, I'm not out to, to jump in the sack with a woman. Um, that's not my number one goal in life. And I, I think, you know, in a lot of ways in society now, we're, we're, we're headed down a pretty nerve-wracking road, in my opinion, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, and how do you get people to come around and see things? I, I don't know, you know, like, where does it go from here? Um, how do you get, you know, how do you slap people in the back of the head and get them to understand that this is not the right way to deal with things? And it's, you know, and, and unfortunately, this is a conversation I've had with some of my close friends over the last while, like looking at, there's a term I don't like to use often, and the term is millennials. I don't like to use that. I only use that when I'm describing, you know, the, the extreme cases of what millennials are and when people are trying, are using that word. Um, where is it going to go? Um, how are things going to change over the next while? And, you know, is there any teaching anybody? 
how do you teach somebody? You know, how does somebody learn how to treat a woman with respect and move into, a, you know, an area? Okay, fine. I get it. You know, people have a sex drive, you know, and men and women alike both, you know, like to have, you know, social, social sex lives and whatever. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, how does, how do you move forward and try and show people, even like through the social media and news and everything, you see all these things. I, was this driven, the Me Too thing? Is it driven by the celebrity stuff? Is that, is a lot yeah, of it Yeah, the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Okay, so yeah, now, so I know a little bit about it. And I wasn't being ignorant mm-hmm. about it. I just don't really watch the news or listen to it very much. Um, here, yeah. How do you, how do you, you know, even these guys, these, you got these guys up on their high pedestals. I guess it would have started with Tiger Woods if you look at celebrities. Mm-hmm. You look at guys that are up on their iPad still have tons of money can do whatever they want those people are just you know it's proven like eh, it's nothing mm-hmm. so how's that going to get the little guy down here on, on you know Main Street to, to understand that you need to be more of a respectful individual towards women and, and look at life differently and to be honest with you I, I, I feel terrible for people that don't understand the right way to look at life in general mm-hmm. like how do you it sucks that you this is the way you look at it you know you look at women like they're objects and, and unfortunately a lot of things in life not just women you know everything is an object and everything is is dispensable and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. and you know i again i yeah i that's all i can give you on that one really i <laughs> it's, it's a tough one for me to, to envision because i'm on the complete opposite side of the spectrum and i I don't know where to go from. Like, how do how do you you know society is out there you know in the mainstream they're busting all of these celebrities and everything else and yeah you know it's probably a laugh to a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I over the last few years I've worked with a lot of younger guys and learned a lot of their attitudes and tried to do the best I can to be like hey you know you're a bit of a douchebag I'm going to teach you how to be a gentleman. I don't want to listen to you. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you anyways, and you're paid to stay here and work with me, so you're going to hear me. And you may not take it right now, and maybe hopefully, you know, you'll have some form of lesson that'll, you know, hopefully not come at the expense of somebody else in the future, but you'll actually go back and go, hey, man, he was right. What he said made sense. And respect is something that's few and far between in a lot of cases. And, you know, again, towards women especially, which is brutal, but, uh, you know, people respecting one another is getting more and more scarce as the days go by. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, hopefully that's not true. <laughs> that hey, last part. Unfortunately, you know, I no, exactly. That's why I said, you know, yeah. the, the conversation about millennials is like, uh-huh. I'm like, look at where things are now. I'm like, well, what's going to happen in 20 years? I have, I have hope. Okay. I, I have you know, hope too. Yeah, I do I too. Hope. I'm not, and please, I hope none of this sounded negative in any no, way, no, shape no. or form. I'm, no, I'm no. all about the positivity and I, I'd love to see everything move upward and, and, you know, the sun start shining more in everybody's life. That'd be fantastic. I, I honestly feel like they're just going to tear the system down. And that's probably not a bad thing. Yeah. No, oh, exactly. Yeah. But I but I would look at yeah. it and have the conversation like, what happens when they start having kids? What are their values they're going to impart on those kids? And oh my God, where does this go yeah, I'm now? I'm excited know? to we'll see that. that. <laughs> um, yeah. I am. I'm excited no to see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So hashtag me too. Hashtag time's up. How do you feel about it? What's the next step? Um, I feel this was long overdue because all of this has been going on behind the scenes for a really long time. This is not new, it's just come out. I, I, I feel this needs to go deep, I feel it needs to go far. I feel every male that's kicked out of a position because he did that should be replaced by a female. I think that would be pretty fair in, yeah. uh, in all this. And I think the next step is reducing the number of victims because the reason why in my opinion and so I'm gonna have an opinion that's a little bit controversial because there's some people who think that the only way to stop this is addressing perpetrators and I think that is the least effective way of stopping this because perpetrators don't care to plug into anything that would change their behavior these people are either extremely dysfunctional or extremely narcissistic for the most part extremely narcissistic um and they like what their behavior is getting them so having in some cases what i've seen is a class for males to come in and be taught how to how to teach women and how to not sexually harass women it'll be effective for the males that come in it won't be effective for the ones that don't and there's more that don't than there would be that come and get this kind of lesson, which means we need to address the people who would be 
victims in these situations. And I think we would get more of those interested in learning how to deal with situations where you're behind closed doors with somebody in a position of power and they're putting sex on the table and, and kind of telling you either overtly or covertly that if you don't have sex with them, you're not gonna get what you want in terms of career opportunities. And what I feel the next step would be for those people going behind doors with those predators is knowing what a micro behavior is that leads up to this kind of situation because before there's the overt act, there's always the tiny covert act. And what they do is they'll throw out smaller acts to see how you respond to them. Will you say something? Will you call it out? Um, and when you don't, then the big one comes. And that's where you get victimized. So what I think the next step is, is teaching people what those micro acts are, the smaller acts. Teaching them how to call them out, how to address it in the moment. Because when you make a predator feel uncomfortable about their behavior, they don't accelerate it. So calling it out in a way that doesn't put them in danger. For instance, there was a nanny who showed up and uh, for a nanny job at Harvey Weinstein's house. He opened the door in his underwear. And she didn't say, oh, obviously I'm early. Uh, why don't I wait here a few minutes while you go get dressed? And so it accelerated and it, it went on into a hug that was too close, too long and just pressed up against him and made her extremely uncomfortable. Um, had she said that at the door, it, it, you know, the interview would have gone on. So calling out those, those smaller behaviors means you're not gonna end up in that uncomfortable hug with somebody down the road. Jessica, what do you think? Um, okay, so I feel like, I don't know, um well, your background or what they taught you in school, but I was taught all my life how not to be raped. So I was taught, we I remember we had like an assembly where only the girls went and they taught us self-defense. They taught us um, how not to get raped, just basic skills. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have been taught my whole life how not to. I was taught by my mom, you know, don't walk home alone. Don't wear clothes like that. Don't um, get drunk and go home with this guy. You know, all my life I was taught these things. And I think most women were taught these things their whole lives. So now the conversation's shifting to, hey, how about we teach boys not to do that? Not to, to get on top it's of a drunk girl. Not to expect something from a girl that has a crush on you and you like, you know, take her into an alley and ask, make her do something. And, or you have a, a powerful position. Like these Harvey Weinsteins, we're talking upper echelon, right? Mm -hmm. The upper echelon, those men were untouchable. But there's a lot of men that have been accused of sexual assault. It's been going on for years in the corporate um, world, you know. Um, and I've, I've known quite a few women to get on the stand against men in, in work and in power positions. Um, and I've known little girls too. I knew a little, I know a little girl who was nine who uh, took a doctor to court and she was, he was found not guilty. So, um, because, and she just became the lying little girl because he was a doctor. And that was in the uh, 80s. And, you know, this has been going on for so long. And men have gotten away with it for so long. And now we're getting to the point where we're starting to say no, time's up. Um, but I also want to say when it comes to um, girls not being able to defend themselves because clearly it's still happening even though we had all those assemblies and all that stuff. Um, but the thing is is that we are grooming, We, I was groomed and it comes back from like to a, almost like a, my religious background. We're groomed to be nice, to be accommodating, to be to not make people feel bad, to make them, to nurture them. So, oh, he's in his underwear, he comes to the door. You're gonna be like, well, I don't wanna like, you know, be bitchy or like make him feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm just gonna pretend he's not in his underwear. Oh, he wants a hug. Oh, okay, I guess I'll hug him. I wasn't taught to like, be like, no, I'm not hugging you, right? Girls aren't taught to be like that. Right. Um, my girls now are taught to like, I, I'm teaching them that. I'm teaching them because you, you get also taught respect your elders, respect people in power, respect, respect. 
So now I'm teaching my girls to um, always, always, um, what's the word? To not do anything that they don't want to do, basically. If they feel uncomfortable, to just have that um, thermometer. Okay. You know, for situations. And yeah, to be assertive. I'm not teaching them to be nice. I'm not teaching them to be accommodating. Um, but I think that we are still a generation that was like that. So, you know, it's more of like a shift in how you feel you, um, that nice girl thing mm -hmm. that we are all taught to be, right? That's something we have to lose. And we have to feel comfortable being like, buddy, put some pants on. I'm not coming in your house. That is not something I was taught to do. Okay, like I've only learned that in the maybe last few, few years to act like that. I've always been, oh, that that people impolite. You know, I've, I was taught manners. And um, then there's the predator types that will take advantage of that. They know, oh, she's a nice girl. She's not going mm -hmm. to like, I've always, I just do what I want and women do what I want. So um, this is shifting now. And I think we're teaching this younger. What's next? The next generation is is going to be different. And we're, as women, I think we're being emboldened to understand predatory behavior and be like, no, that was wrong. I'm not doing it. No. So. Yeah. And I mean, like, you read what I wrote in Dating 101, which is the three ways of dealing with something when you notice it's unusual behavior. So in the moment that you, that, you know, you go to an interview and the guy's in his underwear, then you say something that addresses what that is, calls it out as unusual behavior, communicates the behavior that you would prefer. Obviously, I'm early. Why don't I wait here while you go get dressed? Mm -hmm. So that's one way. Somebody says or does something. If it's, if it's auditory or it's visual, then you address it in an auditory way. If it's a touch, then you would do the... Or if somebody's coming in for a hug, you got the straight arm. <laughs> and that's, you know, and that's, this is exactly how I the describe it. Arm. Somebody's <laughs> coming for a hug, and before they get to you, you got the straight arm. That gives you the distance that you want. It stops them before they get too close. And then you just go, sorry, I don't hug people I don't know, or I'm not comfortable hugging people. So you physically block it, or if you're talking to somebody and he puts an arm on your leg, he puts an arm on your waist, he puts an arm, you know, or a hand, I mean, hand on you then you do the brush off. And if somebody gets offended, that's their problem. Mm -hmm. Jessica, what do you think? <laughs> Jessica too. <clears throat> that was my question actually into the pot. Um, I'm with you as far as it, it took too long for this to finally happen, but I was raised the way that you are raising your girls now. I was raised in a family of women and my mother was very independent and empowered and was very on top of you. Don't take behaviors from people that are uncomfortable for you. Mm -hmm. Speak up for yourself. Mm -hmm. If you don't like it, say so. Mm -hmm. And I was taught to physically defend myself so I wouldn't have to minimize in situations, So, which is what a lot of women are taught because the fear of being, especially in a closed environment, with someone and saying no to them and it escalating to violence mm -hmm. is something that women really fear legitimately because we're not often in a position of physical power mm -hmm. to defend ourselves. Whereas my mother taught me how to break multiple bones in a human body mm -hmm. so that if I was ever in a position where I was saying no to someone and they got physical with me, that I could incapacitate them immediately following saying no and them not listening. Mm -hmm. And that was, um, it's made me feel safe walking at night by myself in places where other people have been like, why, including police officers who've told me, why are you walking at night by yourself? Well, I feel safe walking by myself because I was empowered to feel safe walking by myself. Mm -hmm. And that is an important part of it. And it's really wonderful that, I mean, like yourself and other women who are having children now are, are one, teaching their boys that they need to ask, and two, teaching their daughters to be comfortable saying no. I read an article unrelated but very important that if it's not fuck yes it's no mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the next I think that's one of the next yeah. steps I think that men need to be taught that if she is not saying fuck yes emphatically to whatever you're doing then just assume it's no mm -hmm. I like that that's good yeah. and I, I feel like that just that simple shift in the way that men approach dating if she's not saying yes absolutely to whatever you say or whatever you're doing with her that assume it's no and back off mm -hmm. Because that puts the ball in her court to then ask for what she wants in that situation or, to, or to, to have to draw you back into it. Because 
at that point she needs to be communicating consent. And that's something that we've changed in Ontario recently with our sex ed curriculum because I read it thoroughly. I have a stepdaughter who's um, almost 11 years old and it was important to me to read what was going on. But we are teaching consent to kindergarten students in so much as ask a person if you can hug them. And if you're teaching five-year-olds that you have to ask to touch them Mm -hmm. and to ask for a hug if you want one, Mm -hmm. that translates to consent going into puberty it translates to consent going into adulthood so we're creating a culture of consent in children Mm -hmm. that counteracts this specific problem of non-consent and rape culture that we currently live Mm -hmm. in and people had a really hard time with the idea of teaching consent to children but it is as simple as saying hey can i have a hug and respecting the other person's ability to say no or yes and not touching them if they don't want to be touched and just that simple act of having that as a child means that I mean, my stepdaughter's 11. She walks up to me in the kitchen. She says, can I have a hug? Can you please hug me? And doesn't just run up and grab me, comes up and stands next to me and asks me. Or she'll like lean her head on my shoulder and be like, can I have a hug? Yes, I would love to hug you. Mm-hmm. I love hugging you. It's my favorite thing to do. It's proven to be effective considering you're in the position you're in, which you know normally you'd run and give your mother or stepmother a hug without any question, but it's proven to work. You're like it's working. That's, and that's, that's great. We've noticed it a lot in her school um, with, between the children, and the children who touch you without um, asking are the ones who are usually bullying or pushing or being um, in some way physically violent with each other, and that is something that they can then address. Um, and that is an entirely separate and very difficult issue to address because generally violence between children that's unprovoked like that comes from something else that's going on with those children. And I try to be as understanding as I can be when stuff like that happens with her. Mostly I just want to go into screaming mama bear mode and like, (laughs) but talking, but talking to her about how to talk to those people about what's going on too. When someone's touching you in a way that is really like uncomfortable and vicious and, and aggressive that blends into this as well as being able to be like that's not okay why are you doing that and it and asking someone why in the moment is very powerful switch to pull them out of whatever it is they're doing because they suddenly need to explain where they're at and they may not even have the language for it yet but it does make a change in the way that your pattern of your brain is working if you're being asked in the moment to explain what you're doing and that goes into being an adult later on when someone is being uncomfortably aggressive with you why mm-hmm. why are you doing that why are why are you grabbing my butt in a bar because i've done that to guys who have walked up and touched me mm-hmm. and i've chased them through the bar what do you think you're doing mm-hmm. much to them going <gasps> because they don't expect it they they felt entitled to touch me without my consent while they were walking by and I call them on it instantaneously that is a shift in behavior that's going to happen for them because they don't they've never experienced that before so I I think that we are already making the steps that are necessary at least with our younger generation as far as our older generation I think that teaching men to expect to to Expect an absolutely fuck yes or just assume it's no is a good way to go forward because that fear that you were talking about around dating right now and not knowing what she's thinking and not necessarily being able to read her micro cues or her her nonverbal body language, which is what I mean, which is what a lot of women use because they don't know how to verbalize what they don't want to do. Um, If they're not saying yes, then just assume it's no and back off. And just keep doing that until the women feel like they can communicate it to you. And then teach women the same thing. Mm -hmm. Consistently and from a young age, if you want it, say yes. And that means we have to stop slut-shaming women who say yes and and empowering them to be okay being normal, sexual human beings, because that's a big part of it too. That that Madonna whore complex that women are given from a young age that says, I either have to be a very good girl or I'm a slut. And if I'm being a good girl, then I'm a prude. Mm-hmm. There's that, you, you, there's like a non-winning line that you're constantly being shoved back and forth against. You're, you're too big, you're too small. You're too slutty, you're too prudish. You're too, you're too pushy, you're too much of a pushover. There's, there is no happy medium. Everybody's got an opinion about how you are supposed to behave. When really it just needs to be authentically what is okay for you as a human being. And then people around you need to be able to respect that position. Yeah. And that's 
the, the more that we can teach each other to be respectful of a person's position and to not shame them for being who they are, on both sides of that, men can be sexual or non-sexual. And the Me Too movement applies to men and women because there are so many young men, Corey Feldman among them, who've been abused repeatedly yeah. by people in power in Hollywood. And that is heartbreaking to me because not only is it like the the stigma of being sexually assaulted and the difficulty of reporting that to begin with, but to be male and sexually assaulted, you are now dealing with that stigma on top of everything else. And so the reporting, the the way that we treat the victims and the way that we help people get past these things has to go both ways. Mm-hmm. Empowering all children, male and female, to say no, to say yes, and to respect those boundaries is a huge part of how we get ahead of this. I just, I want so badly for the people who've been so horrifically affected in Hollywood to be able to get the help that they need. And it is uh, a beautiful thing that this exists now and that people are getting their voices heard and getting that closure of being finally believed that these Mm -hmm. things are happening to them is a huge step forward in the healing process for everyone involved. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's the beginning of the shift. For sure. The beginning of the shift. <laughs> there is cosmically a shift we're, just we're happening. Just there, was some passion, there was some passion in your voice through, yeah. through that, uh, that, whole, that whole talk. And that's yeah. the, you, you very well said. All of it, honestly. One more question. When is it going to be... What's for dinner? Meditation <laughs> in schools. See, it's, it's always like very karmic, seriously. It had to be your question. <laughs> Meditation. I didn't write No, no, this. I, write, I, I know, wrote it. Yeah. It had to be your question to pull, though. Yeah. It feels very fitting. It's, it's so bad. Yep. Dude. Okay. Meditation in schools. Will it help? I.e. anxiety, disciplinary issues, violence. Should it be mandatory part of the curriculum? Yes, it will help. Yes, it will reduce anxiety and disciplinary issues and violence. And there are schools where this has been going on already. It is part of the curriculum. It's every morning at 9.30 for 10 minutes. Every single class in that school meditates. The teachers dim the lights. They put some music on. Everybody goes quiet. And the entire school meditates for 10 minutes every morning. I have started pilot classes where the students are doing it. I've seen it from myself what it does. I've talked to the teachers that have done this for an entire year with their students. What they say is um, the students do better. They get better grades. The ones that tend to skip, I'm not talking about grade four students here who would like not go to school because they just didn't want to, they were attending. The ones that were chronically late were on time. Um, there's less fighting. When she, when the spring break was coming up and she said, what are you going to miss about school? They went, we miss the quiet time. We're, they, they, they were going to kind of, and some of them actually, like about 10% of them would start meditating at home. So this is, it's life changing for students. And the thing is, when I work with somebody young, it is fast how quickly it starts changing their life when I get them meditating. My first step in everything that I do, whether it's myself or working with a client, is meditation. I have five self-help books. Every single one starts with meditation. The first step in my seven steps is meditation because it does everything. It reduces your anxiety. It stops you from fighting. I haven't had a fight with my husband for three years. Guess how long I've been meditating for? three years. Um, Violence, yeah, because it reduces. So here's the scientist in me is going to talk about this. Meditation shrinks your amygdala, which is your brain's fight or flight, reduces your capacity to feel stress, anxiety, fear, and anger, and it increases gray matter in your hippocampus, which is where memory and introspection and compassion comes from. So now not only is your will to fight gone because that part of your brain shrank, but you feel better about yourself. And people who feel good about themselves don't try to make other people feel shitty. So you feel better about yourself, your self-talk is better, your compassion levels increase, which means you look at other people and instead of saying, what you're doing is pissing me off, then you say, okay, what you're doing is annoying, but why are you doing this? What happened in your history that made you this person today that just wants to piss off the people around you? 
So yes, please, if we got it, and I'm trying to actually get into schools because if we did, I would be out of a job and I'm okay with that. Because if we get young kids meditating, and they have the kind of brain that I'm teaching 40 year olds to have so they can have a good relationship, we're gonna have young kids aging into great relationships and then they're gonna teach their children how to, have, how to have a great relationship. It's gonna be passed down and passed down and passed down. And what happens when you meditate is I feel that our culture, our society, our race, our species is going to shift into the next evolution and we're gonna stop being assholes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jessica one. Yeah. So I, I mean, I was in a Catholic school when I was younger and there is meditation isn't, I mean, it's not new, you know, going into a church and having to pray and spend time in quiet in a church is meditation. Um, so now that we've gone, it kind of gone very secular. We've lost that part of our, um, daily lives. And, um, we do need to bring it back, but in a way that's not dogmatic um, and more neutral. And um, yeah, I mean, it would be very helpful to children to have that time again, you know, to bring it back in. Um, and um, I think we're, we're lacking, uh, we're lacking our spirituality in a big way. And it needs to come back, but not obviously. <laughs> The old stuff because we're just done with that right it has to be a new way of connecting to our spirituality our soul uh, who we are and um, yeah if you've got that then you have a different world definitely um, and of course if you travel east you're gonna see it in that culture a lot more because it's still practiced there and um, you feel the serenity, even of the energy, even like in a Catholic church. When I was in, it was weird. When I was in Paris, I went to Sacré-Cœur, and I felt like the most serenity I've ever felt. It was so quiet, and it was like it doesn't have to be the Eastern style. It can still be. There's different forms of it. Do you know what I mean? There's different forms of that connection to spirit and that quiet going within type of thing um, but I think it's very important for people and hey if you do have that Christian Christian background or um, if you're Muslim then go to prayer you know it doesn't have to meditation might feel uncomfortable for some people because it's it's more of an Eastern style of doing things if it has to be prayer then, then pray but everyone should have that quiet time that they they connect to their spiritual spiritual self and that'd be great in schools Jessica, too, what do you think? So uh, part of our yoga teacher training was um, very intense daily meditation. And we did both um, very secular meditations like mindfulness, which is really just looking at the things that come into your head kind of objectively as they float in and out and not attaching yourself to those thoughts, but allowing them to come in and kind of look at them and see what they are and then allow them to float back out again and then let the next one float in and then let the next one float in. And there is no... There's no chakras, there's no mandalas, there's no prayer, there's no none of that in mindfulness. It's just allowing your mind to move through things. And I quite enjoyed that form of meditation because by the time I was done, I was like, oh, this bunch of stuff came up and I could kind of catalog it with my conscious mind after the fact and work through some things that maybe my brain was just allowing itself to think of. We did pranayama, which is breath control, which is just breathing exercises and just continuous breathing exercises are a form of meditation. It's the first form of meditation that I learned as a child. I've had panic disorder since I was three. And my mother taught me how to control my breathing because that helps to control your heart rate and can stave off the worst of a panic attack by just allowing you to get full breath and to bring yourself into a place of calm when your body is not being calm for you. Your adrenaline's doing its thing and you don't have control over that, but you can control your breathing and then controlling your breathing, control your heart and bring everything back down again. We did chakra meditations. We had a prayer led meditation. We did all kinds of things through that, through that training that opened my eyes to the multitude of ways that we can find our way to find in peace and contentment and balance and 
it doesn't matter which way, which path you're taking to get there, but the idea of that feeling of connectedness, whether it is to God or to each other or to the world, but that sense of connectedness is part of what stops that sensation of violence because we feel compassion and empathy for all of the other living things around us. And when you feel connected and empathic to the things that you are near, then you don't want to hurt them because they are a part of you and hurting them is hurting you. So I don't want to hurt my world, I don't want to hurt my neighbor, I don't want to hurt the person sitting across me, even when they're driving me nuts, I don't want to hurt them because we are part of the same thing. And I think that, that teaching that to children early on and that sense of connection, um, it, it stops that feeling of existential crisis that most teenagers have where they're feeling super disconnected from everything and everyone all of the time, being able to get connected through meditation helps to bring that back to, to people who are suffering in those ways as well. I think that it has been proven repeatedly that it is an excellent form of work where um, they've traded it in for uh, detention in some states. They go in and do mindfulness meditation instead of having detention. Yeah. And disciplinary issues have just dropped because... It these, works. Because it works. These kids have time to think about what's going on with them and the world and the stuff and, and have time to just quietly reflect on the situation. And when you give them that option, they self-regulate. Because the teacher that I knew with the fourth grade class, they would come to her when they'd start feeling themselves getting worked up. And they'd say, can I go sit in the quiet corner? And she had a, an iPod with meditation music in it and headphones. And they would ask to go sit in the quiet corner with the, with the headphones. And then they would come back to the group when they had calmed down more. And so there was less fighting inside the classroom because the students learned how to self-regulate. I gave that, we gave that tool to my stepdaughter last year. She was having some problems with some students in class and she was having focus issues at her group. Her teacher gave her the option of pulling her desk over to the wall and having quiet space on her own to do her work when she was either in conflict or having trouble focusing and gave her the complete option to self-regulate when she needed to and her grades like tripled from being able to have the opportunity to choose to regulate herself away from everyone else when she needs to. Yeah. An incredible an incredible tool. Um, and you're talking about the amygdala in the, in the gray matter. There is um, a book um, from a study done called The Relaxation Response. And this is what they use for cardiac patients because it lowers your cortisol. Mm -hmm. And 15 minutes of meditation a day will lower your overall cortisol levels and reduce your chance of repeated heart attack. Um, that can be achieved through meditation, it can be achieved through uh, restorative yoga, which is long-term held, comfortable, slow-breathing yoga positions, but it achieves the same response and overall cortisol is lowered, reducing your entire stress level in your body, which means that you sleep better, you eat better, your body um, holds blood sugar higher when your cortisol levels are up. So if you are and that's a recent study. So if your cortisol levels are high and you are hyper-stressed out, your blood sugar stays up for six hours mm. instead of this regular two, three times as long when you're stressed out. So if you are meditating regularly and your cortisol is lower, then your body uses its blood sugar appropriately, meaning that we can help people who are suffering from stress-related weight gain because it is actually a thing. By helping them reduce their stress levels, we can help their bodies to re-regulate themselves. All of your systems become better. If you don't get enough sleep at night, if you, if you meditate for 15 minutes in the middle of the day, you actually help the neuroplasticity of your brain when you're not getting enough rest at night. It's a Band-Aid fix for not getting enough sleep, but at the same time, it is giving your body the chance to repair itself and your brain the chance to repair itself when you can't get enough rest at night. Yeah. The benefits are so widespread, it's unbelievable. What about you, Justin? Meditation well, in schools, will it help? Should it be mandatory, a part of the curriculum? From somebody who knows relatively very little about meditation, um, you know, I can start by saying the first, there are two people that come to mind when the word meditation is mentioned. Um, Chantel is one of them, and my brother, um, who I always refer to as a hippie because he's just got that type of soul to him and, and he is living in Australia and 
you know, I talked to him and, and Chantal and I have had this conversation, um, you know, talking about, um, you know, like, I, I guess, you know, again, I'm not a yogi or anything else, but, you know, talking about having that, like, that comfort and that, that quiet time in your day, in your daily life and having that, those Zen moments and really just, you know, and again, this is Chantal is the first person I met you three years ago. You're the first person who has introduced that type of personality to me. Um, and it's something that, you know, I've always looked at, you're able to find that time to slow down and, you know, and your answer when I call you is, Hey, I'm amazing. And you know what? Um, you know, it's, it goes part and parcel with my brother. That's why I brought him up. He's, he, you know, he's uh, 12 years, my junior. Um, I spent a month with him in the summertime and shortly thereafter, my life took a, a great shift. Um, things have changed, um, and all in a positive manner. And I had to call my brother and say, you know, um, I want you to understand you you're you deserve a lot of the credit for where I am today because of the time that I spent with him just walking around we did some hikes and stuff and just really just spending time and a lot of the time people that are a little bit older will look down on other people like that not down on them but look at them like yeah, I'm not really gonna take what you're saying you know I take it with a grain of salt because they're younger and I didn't I did the complete opposite and I didn't realize it until a couple months later when the shift happened in my life but anyway what I'm getting at is really you know there's there's something to be said about what you have achieved what you guys are able to get out of it um, you know and I'm on the cusp of, of experimenting with the meditation uh, we've talked about it enough my brother and I talk about it all the time Chantel has been encouraging me to do it for a while um, you know and I we, we actually mentioned it something was mentioned about it today um, and Chantel says well why don't you meditate and I said, it might sound really weird, but I don't think I can find, uh, I can't picture any, any, anything making me happier at the moment, but I'll try, <laughs> right, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm going back to what uh, Jessica One says, um, you know, about the, 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 just that time in school. I, I come from a, 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 a you know, an, a, a, the school I went to was, was really chaotic. And, and just looking back at it, especially from, from a personal standpoint, I know how chaotic I was. Um, what, do I, can I picture meditation having helped me when I was younger? Absolutely. You know, I really think I, that's something that I should have had in my life. And I think it's a great idea. Again, coming from someone with no experience with it, um, I think it's, it's everything that you've all kind of relayed today. It sounds like it would be something beneficial for sure. Um, you know, I, again, I can't say that from experience, but I, I don't see it being, you know, it couldn't be a bad thing, that's for sure. And, you know, looking at just, I do remember there was some times in school where there was quiet time, and it wasn't because anyone was in trouble, but it's like, hey, there was one teacher that I had, I think it was in grade four or five, where he was right after lunch, and he would say, you know what, we're all just going to have 10 minutes, so everybody settle down, we're just going to sit. I don't care if you read, but there's no talking, there's no passing notes or anything, and it was just a matter, just a time to sit there. That was it. So, you know, I felt like that was beneficial for, for me, for sure, because I was wound up like I was on speed when I was younger. So, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, so that's all I'd say about it, I guess. Can I, can I offer you a suggestion? Sure. To Spotify? I do. Spotify has incredible amounts I of meditations. I listen to some talk downs for sleeping. And they have, they have like everything from 10 minute meditations to like 40 minute full length chakra meditations. Cool. And you can start with the I'll little ones, work your way up. Or you could go to YouTube and watch her. And you can type in Chantel High and you could find my YouTube channel. You can go to my Let's Meditate playlist. You can pick anything on that playlist. It's got binaural beats, and basically what binaural beats are is that it imitates the wavelength that your brain goes in when it's in a meditative state. Mm -hmm. So it pulls you into a meditative state faster, so your time is more efficient. Okay. And there's a ton on there. You can just pick what's interesting to you at the time frame. If, if you know, I like to sit down like indefinitely, like until I just can't sit any longer. So I actually pick like one or two hour ones and then just go with the like I might I won't sit for the whole hour or two right but I'll, I'll sit there for <laughs> two hours without moving no 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 but I'll sit there f until I get antsy mm -hmm. and then I'll be like okay I want to get back to work how much time did I do that that was 20 minutes good stuff write that down on my meditation chart track I'm tracking my minutes right now again mm -hmm. um but yeah I cannot imagine ending on a better topic because for me Professionally, this is like the most interesting thing. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I think everything good starts with meditation. Um, so I want to thank everybody for coming because in order to have a pot party, you need people, 
And so I really appreciate that you people came. This is the first one that I've done that I am going to be posting. So I think you're very brave to uh, come and be public and be part of my public pop party. Um, I want to remind everybody again, uh, Jessica Zinger, her website is cocoonapothecary.com if you know how to spell cocoon. And if you don't, Jessica, what is it? Organicskin.ca. Yes. And honestly, <laughs> <For> everyone else. <laughs> like everyone. For everyone else. If you're a male and you like bearding products, male products, male skincare, she has the best. If you're a female and you want to look 10 years younger, she has the best. Uh, I'm 45 and people are shocked when I tell them how old I am and here's Justin looking at me right now going I don't think I even knew really? that to be honest <laughs> okay let me ask you this Justin how old did you think I was I thought like hovering in and around 40 I didn't think 45 and it's only and it has nothing to do with the appearance let's clear that up that's just your personality and who you are there I don't go. think you look like you're 40 <laughs> covering so, <laughs> nice good man um, so if you want to find me, come to canadastatingcoach.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, of course, YouTube, Facebook. I have podcasts up on iTunes. And if you're not on iTunes, you can find me on Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Um, and I want to thank everybody for joining us and for listening in and for being part of this podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. having us. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>